vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of the rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. The word of God for the people of God. Now that I have your attention, welcome to Stony Brook Community Church of God. And welcome to our brand new message series, When God Hates Religion. When God hates religion. What do you mean, when God hates religion? Didn't God, like, invent religion? Wasn't he the one who, like, told everybody that they should do religion? Those are very good questions. I'm glad you asked. Those are questions that we're going to answer in this sermon series. So give me some time to explain. The passage that I just got done reading comes from the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Isaiah was a prophet living in the 8th century B.C. in the land of Judah. The prophets, as we'll get into in a little bit, were spokespeople for God. They were commissioned by God to bring a message to the people of God. This speech that I just read was very likely a speech that Isaiah delivered at the temple, very possibly during one of the major festivals in the land of Israel. Uh, there, were, there would have been priests who were offering sacrifices, people who were bringing offerings. They were doing church as they knew it. So to, to set a little context here, I want you to imagine that while we're here having church and singing songs and I'm preaching and we're giving tithes and sharing in communion, that somebody walks in the door, walks up on stage and says, all of this stuff that you're doing, all of your singing and all of your preaching and all of your prayers and all of your offerings is detestable to God. God hates every bit of it. This is, that's very similar to what would have been going on here with Isaiah. In the middle of all of this stuff, as they were worshiping God in the way that they knew how, Isaiah walks up and he says, all of this stuff that you're doing, and you think that you're worshiping God, God hates it. It's detestable to Him. It's basically what Isaiah is doing. And, and so what, what we think is probably very similar to what they were thinking. Well, what do you mean God hates this? God's the one who told us to do this to begin with. Isaiah, have you even read the Bible? Have you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers? Have you read how God commanded us to offer these sacrifices and to worship in this way? Why in the world would you get up here and say that what we're doing is something that God hates? 
That's a very good question. So to answer that, I've got to give you a little bit of backstory. Some of you may be familiar with this story. Some of you may be less familiar. So I'm just going to, if you're familiar, bear with me. And if you're not familiar, I'm going to set the stage so we can understand why Isaiah would get up in the middle of this festival while all of these people are are worshiping and doing religion and tell them that, that God hated what they were doing. You see, if you, if you go back to the beginning of your Bible, to the book of Genesis, you'll read the story about a man named Abraham. Abraham was a man that God showed up to and said, hey, if you follow me and if you obey me, I will, I will make you a father of many nations. There will be people who will come from you and you will be my people and I will be your God. And so God listened, or Abraham listened to God and obeyed God and God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, giving him children who began to multiply and multiply. And as you continue to read through the story, you'll read about how Abraham had a son and then his son had 12 uh, sons and these sons became the people of Israel. And they began to multiply, and eventually when there was a bad famine, they moved to the land of Egypt, and as they continued to multiply, the Egyptians became afraid of them, and they oppressed them in slavery for about 400 years. And during that time, they called out to God, and and God saw their suffering, and he saw their oppression, and so he sent his messenger, his prophet named Moses, and he led them out of Egypt in what we call the Exodus. You've probably seen the movie with Charlton Heston. Right? He, he leads them out, the Ten Commandments. And as he leads them out, he leads them from oppression into freedom. He liberates them, and he calls them into relationship with him. And part of that relationship, he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah. And this, these, these laws, these instructions were it to help them live into being the people of God. And as you read through, if you've ever read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, sometimes you might, uh, they're probably the books you may skip, you know, when you read through the Bible in a year because it's, you know, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You're like, well, I don't do sacrifices, so I don't need to read this, right? You're like, I don't have any gut, any sheep or turtle doves, or we don't have priests anymore. We don't, so you just sort of skip over that. But if you read through those books, you'll, you'll sort of un, you'll realize that there are sort of two overarching uh, themes in those books. One is proper worship, how they are to, the sacrifices they're to offer, how they're to conduct themselves in worship, the, the feasts and the sacrifices and the assemblies and the, and the gatherings that they're supposed to engage in. That's one aspect sort of of the Old Testament law of the Torah, uh, how they're supposed to dress and what they're supposed to eat and all of these different you know, religious rituals. The other aspect is how they're supposed to treat each other, how they're supposed to live together as the community of God. And one of the things that is very apparent in this, in this system of living together is this idea of the inherent equality of all people and God's concern for, for justice and righteousness. That in this community, this community is supposed to be marked by justice where there's no oppression, where there's not a ruling class and, and, and a subclass. That everybody has worth and equal. And built into this law, God had had built in safeguards to make sure that there would be justice. And and justice in this was was fairness and equality. I'll talk about this in a little bit. But there was an emphasis on making sure that there would be no oppression of the vulnerable. That the vulnerable would have as many equal rights as the rich. And this was sort sort of new for the time. There were some concerns for justice and equality. But the, the Hebrew law brought this to a brand new level. And this was an integral part of God's law for his people. So there was proper worship, and then there was proper communal living and how to establish justice and righteousness. Now, if you continue to read through the Old Testament, 
you'll see that they had good times and they had bad times. As they got established in the land that God had given them, at times they would fall away from the, the standard that God had called them to live. Sometimes they would fall away in the religious sense. They would start worshiping other gods. They would engage in idolatry. They would adopt the gods of the people who lived around them. And they would, they would stop worshiping in the way that God told them to worship. Other times they would stop treating each other with the justice and righteousness righteousness and equality that God called them to live with. And so when the people began to fall away, God would send messengers to them that would call them to repentance. So enter the prophets. The prophets are the, the, uh, those books in the last part of your Bible that have the names of people. Some of them you can pronounce. Some of them you can't, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, we're familiar with those names. Uh, Habakkuk is probably one that you don't say very often. Uh, but all of these prophets are people that, that God raised up to come and call Israel to repentance, to call them back to how God had initially asked them to live as his covenant people, as people in relationship with him. One Old Testament scholar, John Drain, says that the prophets were the conscience of the nation. They were the conscience of the nation. These were individuals that God sent and, and to, to, to proclaim a message, to call people back into faithfulness with God after they had fallen away. Now this may surprise you, but these prophets were not always very popular. How often do people like being told that they're wrong? That they're living in opposition to God? So these prophets are people who came with a very unpopular message at times. They were very often mistreated, right? Because... Uh, they were coming and they were, they were calling a nation to repentance. And sometimes when we're living in a way that we shouldn't be living, we don't like the people who tell us that we shouldn't be living that way. So these, these prophets were often unpopular. And if you read through the prophets, beginning with Isaiah and Jeremiah and going through the rest of them, you'll see that there are basically two major themes within the books of the prophets, which is, one, the worship of false gods, and two, a demand for righteousness and justice, sort of mirroring the two emphases within the Torah, within the law itself, calling people back either to proper worship or calling people back to justice and righteousness. So that brings us now to the passage we began with, with Isaiah. Why in the world would Isaiah show up and tell the Israelites that God hated and despised their religious practice? After all, what they were doing was commanded to them, they believed, in the law of Moses. The sacrifices they were offering, the assemblies that they were gathering at, the feasts that they were having, these were all things that they could open up their Bibles, if they had Bibles, they didn't have Bibles back then, but they could, they could talk to the priests. These were all things that were recorded for them in the law of Moses that God had told them to do. They thought they were living in obedience to God as they engaged in these worship practices. And yet, as they're doing this, this prophet comes up and stands in the middle of the temple. He says, all of the stuff that you're doing, including your prayers, including your offerings and your sacrifices, and all of this worship that you think you're doing, it's detestable to God. Why would God say that if he's the one who gave it to them to begin with? Isaiah tells us. We continue in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Your hands are full of blood. 
wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Well, what wrong were they doing? Isaiah tells us. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You see, these people had forsaken justice and they had allowed oppression and exploitation to go unchecked in their land. They had kept up all of the religious outward appearance, but as a community of people, they were not taking care of the most vulnerable among them. They had allowed systems of inequality, systems of oppression, systems of injustice to take root, and they had gone unchecked. And because of this, there was oppression. And and Isaiah comes up and says, because of this, there is blood on your hands. And because there is blood on your hands, God doesn't give a rip about the sacrifices that you're offering in his temple. As a matter of fact, he hates them. It's pretty strong language, right? You see, these people wrongly assumed that if they just worshipped God in the right way, if they just showed up and went to church and paid their tithe and sang the songs and read their Bible, then God would be happy with them because they were going through the outward manifestation of religion. And they thought, well, if I offer sacrifices to God, then God's cool with me, right? It doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor as long as I'm okay with God and I give God what God demands. As long as I share with him some of my grain and some of my fruit, and, and as long as I sacrifice some of my animals to him and I, and I, and I appease God, then, then what I do on the side, how I treat people, the, 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 system, you know, the, the economic systems and, and all that that we have in place, God doesn't really care all that much about them. And Isaiah shows up and he says, no, 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 no. You've got this all wrong. You've got this all backwards. He says, until you fix what's going on in the community around you, until you address oppression and injustice and inequality, until you start taking care of the orphan and the widow and the stranger, which we would translate as immigrants, and the poor among you, God could care less about your sheep and your grain and your wine and you going to church. So as a matter of fact, it stinks to God. That's what that means. You know, it, w- when everything is right, when you're taking care of your neighbor, and then you come to God and you offer your sacrifices, then it's a sweet-smelling savor, these, these offerings. But God says, if you're not doing that, then all of these offerings, it stinks. It stinks to God, all of this religious worship, if you're not taking care of the most vulnerable among you. So long as you allow oppression and injustice and inequality to exist in your communities. Nothing you do here in the temple, Isaiah says, is of any worth in God's eyes. You want to ignore your neighbor? You might as well stay out of church, Isaiah says. You want to allow oppression to to reign free? Keep your animals at home. It'd be better for you to stay home and not offer anything to God if you're not going to take care of the people around you. So the prophets come along. And as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, this is a consistent theme among several different prophets that God sends to his people. That as long as you are not focusing on the people around you, no amount of religious worship is going to 
make any difference in God's eyes. Taking care of people, God says, is most important. And we're going to see this in the prophets, and we're going to see this all the way through to the ultimate prophet who was Jesus himself. So here's our bottom line. God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice. Not, it's not like he's just okay with it. It's not like he, he likes it less. He actually hates it. It is detestable in his sight. All of the religious worship that we could do, which in our context is showing up to church and going to small group and reading our Bibles and, and giving a tithe and singing songs and, and posting our favorite verses on the internet, on Facebook or whatever it is that we do, all of that stuff, if we are unaware, if we are ignoring and allowing injustice in our communities to go unchecked, it's all detestable to God. As I said, this is, this is a major theme throughout all of the prophets culminating in the ultimate prophet, Jesus Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about this word justice. In, in our culture, we think of justice as fairness, as equity. If you go to, if you, go to um, you know, if you do something wrong, you'll be held accountable by the court and all that. And, and that, that is true for biblical justice as well. But biblical justice has an extra emphasis. Biblical justice, as it's talked about in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, has a very specific and particular emphasis in protecting the vulnerable from oppression by the powerful. And so the groups of people that we often see mentioned and and, and taken care of in these contexts are the poor, the orphans, the widows and women in general, as well as uh, what, the, what the Bible calls strangers, what we would call immigrants, sojourners, people from other nations and other peoples who come to live among you. And, and what we see in the Old Testament and what we're going to see in the New Testament is God says that the way that you treat those who are most vulnerable is really the litmus test of your relationship with God. Says, he says, I don't care how many animals you sacrifice. Or in our day, I don't care how much you tie to the church. I don't care about your, your feasts and your, your new moons and your assemblies. I don't care about your Sunday gatherings or your small groups. Unless you are taking care of the people who are there in your midst, the most vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized. Major theme in the prophets. We're going to see the next couple of weeks. And the reason, well, Thomas, why are we doing this series now? Why are we looking at this here in our context of 21st century American Christianity? We're not Jews living in the temple period. We don't have animals to sacrifice. We don't, we don't have general assemblies, you know, feasts that we're supposed to go to. And, and there's, no, there's no priests who offer on our behalf. So why are we talking about this now in 21st century America? Because as I said, this is a theme that began with the prophets and continues all the way through the teachings of Jesus. And if we're Christians, we are followers of Jesus. And the teachings of Paul and Peter and James, this concern for justice is a thread that runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation. From the beginning to the end, God says that it's his people's care and concern for those who are most vulnerable that defines their relationship with him. 
And in American Christianity today, we have pastors and teachers and theologians and Christians who are saying that social justice is a distraction to the gospel. We have people who say that, that caring for things like racism and sexism and, and, and the poor and immigrants, all of that stuff is okay, but what we really need to focus on is making sure we got our theology right. We've got to make sure that we got our, our doctrine straight. We've got to make sure that we're worshiping God in the right way, and then after that we can sort of take care of the people around us. And, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and and. Uh, Micah and Jesus and Paul and James are going to say, no, 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 no. They're going to say, if you're not taking care of the people around you, then all of your religious worship stinks to God. Now, maybe we don't fit into that in this congregation. Maybe we do. But within our greater culture, this is a message that we need to hear. We've got it backwards. We, it's time for some prophets to come along. We've been established now. Church has been established for 2,000 years. As, as things get established, they tend to fall away from God's original plan. And it's time for the prophets to come back and remind us what really matters most to God. So here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to share communion together in this church uh, but for those of you who are watching or listening online, come back next week as we continue this series and we find out when God hates religion and what we can do about it. So I'm going to have a word of prayer, uh, and then after that I'm going to invite Henry up and we'll share in communion together here at church. Lord, we thank you for your prophets. We thank you that you have called men and women to represent you, to come speak your truth, to call us back to right relationship with you. Father, we don't want our acts of worship to be detestable to you. We want to offer to you sacrifices that are acceptable. We want to honor you in the way that you have called us to honor you. So, Father, we thank you for reminding us that it is our care and concern for those around us. It is our care and concern for the most vulnerable among us that really is the litmus test for our relationship with you. So Father, if, if, we're, if we're on the right track, help us to continue. Help us to continue to care for and take care of those around us who, who need your love and your liberation. Father, if we have gotten to the place in our hearts and our minds, either as individuals, as a congregation, or as a greater body of American Christians where we have forsaken the things that matter most for things that are less important, we pray that you would call us to repentance, that you would enlighten our eyes so that we would see that, that what you really care about is how we care for one another and the most vulnerable among us. Father, we know that you are gracious and forgiving and full of mercy. And so as we recognize maybe areas that we've fallen short, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience. Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts and that you would lead us into true justice and true righteousness and true relationship with you. I thank you for these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.